Good morning. It's a joy to be back with you again. You might uh, remember last week we looked at the story of Martha and Mary and Jesus coming to the party there and Mary who chose to listen and to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha busy with many things and the difference uh, between those things. We also, the difference being not whether someone was doing or whether someone was being, but of the many things, Mary tuning in on the thing, the one thing. We, we backed it up a little bit before in, in the Gospel of Luke here, the story before that, looked at the Good Samaritan and the one who helped, the Samaritan who helped the man on the road. He saw and he acted. So in that case, seeing and acting was commended by Jesus just as much as listening and resting was in Martha and Mary. So again, the common thread being not whether we're doing, not whether we're resting, but whether we're really inclining our heart. Mary was enthralled more with Jesus than with anything else. The Samaritan was tuned in, if you will, to the heart of God and saw and acted. So now we see that same thread this morning take us into the topic of prayer. It's a big topic. We won't cover it all because there's much to be said and known about prayer. But let's take a look at it. We'll be in the 11th chapter of Luke this morning if you'd like to follow along. Now before we talk more about prayer, because it raises all of these questions about Asking and getting, and how many times do you ask God for things, and can God's mind be changed, and all of these things. It kind of reminds me, you know, I like to tell stories about my kids with five daughters uh, that are mostly grown now, but when they were little, taking the girls or any combination of them to the store was no easy task. Especially in the middle there, we have twins, and I still remember when they were about two and a half, three years old, going to Walmart, opening the door. And then they just took off in opposite directions, you know. And then half the energy was spent rounding them up more than uh, shopping well. But our middle daughter was not like that at all. You know, they're always, their personalities are all so different. Our middle daughter was, uh, and this is how her personality is too, completely content. She would just sit there in the cart my wife loved to take her shopping because she just would look around and have a great time. And not, she said, and we were teasing her this week about it. Said not ask for anything, ever. Except this one day, who knows why, who knows what, she sees these cherry tomatoes on the shelf, and she asks for those. <laughs> Mom, we got to get those. My wife wasn't planning on getting cherry tomatoes. But just because she never asked for anything ever, and for whatever reason these cherry tomatoes caught her eye, she got the cherry tomatoes. I was thinking about that story because we see in this Old Testament reading, here's Abraham talking with God. Some would say bargaining with God. Would you save the city for 50 righteous? Okay, how about for 45? How about for 30? And all the way down and all the way down. We see this remarkable story in scripture and on first glance it, may, it raises a lot of questions doesn't it you start to think well can can God's mind be changed 
Uh, does God want us to pester him and keep asking and keep bothering him to get what we want? That's something about that doesn't quite set right. But the story's in here, and you see God interacting with Abraham in a really interesting way. And then that takes us over to Jesus and his disciples. As it says in Luke 11, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It was very common in those days as a teacher or a rabbi would have followers, would have disciples. They would learn together, travel around together a bit, and they would have sort of a sense of an identity as a group. It would be very common for that rabbi or that teacher to teach his disciples a prayer, something that was a unifying thing, something that they could learn and memorize together. It would be their prayer. So it's not so uncommon that the disciples asked Jesus, teach us a prayer, teach us to pray. I suspect, it doesn't say, but I suspect that they being the human beings they were, the human being that I am, that they probably were looking for, not to say their request wasn't sincere, but they were probably looking for a formula, like teach us to pray. We know how the other groups have their way, but... Tell us the right way to do this, Jesus. Give us the best prayer so we can figure it out. So we can finally nail down this question of how does prayer to God and how does this all work? But Jesus answers. He says, this is how you should pray. Now, well, I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch, but in seminary they did teach us a few Greek words. And... Uh, in this particular passage, some of those uh, original language words bring out some extra texture here. So I want to point this out. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. The you there is plural. Uh, for some years I lived in Pittsburgh, so they would say yins. <laughs> if we lived in the south, it would be y'all. This is how y'all should pray. That's on one level... The group asked them, teach us to pray. On another level, it's significant, in my opinion, because he's giving a prayer to a community, the community that they had with one another and even to us, the followers of Christ, all these years later. This prayer was given to the church, the community of God. Then the next word is also earth-shatteringly important. This is how you all should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. In just one line, two key words, Jesus establishes something astounding about prayer. First, that the context of it is within a family, within a community. Second, that we have a father, we have a heavenly father. That the prayer is in the context of a relationship. So it isn't a formula. It isn't the right and perfect words. It's rooted in the relationship. There's something about that that's similar to that what Mary captured in our reading last week 
and just fixing in on Jesus. There's another astounding thing as he says, Father. Jesus, being God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has an intimate relationship with his Father beyond what we can ever imagine. He said he only did what he saw his Father in heaven doing. In giving us this prayer, Jesus invites his disciples and us into this intimate relationship. He's saying, just as I pray, Father, you all pray, Father, with me. Puts us not on the, on the plane of beggars or of servants, but of sons and daughters who are in a loving relationship with a heavenly Father and a brother, Jesus, who says, enter this conversation with the Father with me. With that covenant relationship wrapped around you as you talk and communicate with God. It's powerful. Very simple words then. May your name be kept holy, above and distinct beyond all else. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. How true is that? God gives what we need today, today. That's why worry is so, when we worry about the future, it's understandable, we all do. But it gives us that sinking, empty feeling. Because when we think about the problems of tomorrow, we don't have the grace for that yet, because we're not at tomorrow yet. Give us today our daily bread. God has chosen to to dole out life in 24-hour increments. For that, I'm thankful. I don't know if I could take much more at a time. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus then is saying, forgiveness is the central quality of this relationship. It's a defining feature of our relationship to God. Without forgiveness, that was secured for us by Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross and his resurrection. Without that forgiveness, we would not be able to be in this intimate relationship with God. We would not be the sons and daughters that we're talking about here. And as Jesus has forgiven us, he says, that's so important and so central to our relationship, he says, to the community, to to his followers and to us. So should it be for us too. He knew. He walked on this earth. He knew that the practice of forgiveness, probably daily, would need to be and would rightly be the central fact of our relationships with one another, just as it is with God. And don't let us yield to temptation. Prayer for covering, for protection, that we'd be that what is good and right and holy and pure would grow in us and we'd be kept away from what is not. So he gives them that prayer. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. It could be called the Disciples' Prayer because it was given to his followers. Then to illuminate what he just says, Jesus tells an interesting story. Verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. 
you say to him, a friend of mine has arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Remember how important hospitality was in those days, to be able to not have something to set before someone, even if they showed up at midnight? And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your, in this translation, it says shameless persistence. As I read that story, even though it's familiar, even now as I read it, I think it's going to go the other way. I think it's going to go, well, because he's your friend, because you care about him, because there's that relationship there, you'll get out of bed, give him the bread so he can save face, take it back to his guest. But it doesn't say that. It says, even though he's your friend, even though there's that relationship, it's the boldness, it's the persistence that the person will finally get up and give him what he wants. Again, in the the Greek, the word there is shameless boldness. The word for persistence, shameless boldness. And and to me, I don't know about you, but then that stirs up all kinds of questions. Now wait, I thought Jesus just established we're talking to our father, we're talking as sons and daughters, we're talking in this relationship. Is it saying to beg and to plead like a little kid at the store wants a candy bar, keep tugging at God's cloak, gimme, gimme, gimme? It can't be meaning that. We see God in the Gospels, the, the persistent widow, that prayer is answered. But then we know Paul writes about not praying with meaningless repetitions. So try to figure this out. What's, where is God's heart in the middle of that when it comes to prayer? Shameless boldness. Those words make me think of somebody being obnoxious. But that's not really the sense of the word. Here's a picture from the gospel of this shameless boldness. Remember at the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle? They had run out of wine. Jesus turns the water into wine. His mother Mary comes up to him, knowing about the possible embarrassment that the, uh, those who are putting the wedding on would face, having run out of wine, and says to the servants, Go talk to my son. Do whatever he tells you and everything will be fine. That, I believe, is, that, is a picture of this shameless boldness. It's not obnoxious. It's not, it's not groveling. It's not self-serving. It's just a faithful trust and confidence in Jesus where Mary said, just go talk to my son. It'll all be taken care of. It's a confidence, not a cockiness. A confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he can, in his power, and wants to, in his love, pour out blessings. Shameless boldness. Verse 9, Jesus continues on. He says, and so I tell you, and again, it's a you all. I tell you all, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. And actually, the tense 
of that verb is to do so continually. Not ask once, but to do so continually. So I tell you, you all, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. In another place in scripture it says, those who earnestly, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is true. And the reward is, 